0: Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done.
1: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
2: From the heart of where innovation, money and power collide... In Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang.
3: in San Francisco and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, Apple shares soar after an impressive second quarter. Records almost across the board. Beats on iPhone sales, iPad, Mac, and all-time services record also for uh, the services business. I spoke with Apple CEO Tim Cook and we'll tell you what he had to say. And just as Elon Musk is poised to take over, Twitter revenue misses the slowest growth in six quarters. This on top of a new report that the FTC is investigating how Musk disclosed his purchases of Twitter shares as he amassed a massive stake in secret. And Qualcomm soars as the chip giant diversifies beyond phones to cars, networks, and computers. CEO Cristiano Amon joins us later this hour. We will get to all of that in a moment, but first we are watching Apple and Amazon results also out this hour. Bloomberg's Emily Grafeo joins us now to see how investors
4: are reacting. Emily, take it away. Hi, Emily. Well, it was a largely green day for the U.S. stock market. The S&P 500 ended up 2.47%, and the tech-heavy NASDAQ 100 also ended up high. Three by 3.48%. That was the largest one-day gain since March 16th. We also saw yields higher, but didn't seem to bother U.S. equity investors from buying up stocks. And of course, it was a largely risk-on day. So we also saw Bitcoin finishing the day in New York higher. We tend to see that risk-on trade; Bitcoin tends to get higher. But the big story of the day was really all about the big tech earnings. Coming up, we're going to look at Apple right now because the stock is rallying after they reported earnings. They are up right now about 0.47%. They beat on sales. They beat on profits. They reported sales rising to about $97.3 billion in the quarter. It was largely fueled by demand for iPhones, demand for their web services. They also announced a $90 billion uh, stock buyback program. And so you're really seeing that optimism reflected uh, in the stock price. But it wasn't positive for all of the big tech companies. I'm looking at Amazon right now, down 9.54% in the post-market. They missed on sales for this quarter, but they also projected um, a forward guidance that was lower than analysts expected for the next quarter. And it was the same thing for Intel. You're seeing Intel down about four, percent in the post market. They also projected that that forward guidance for the next quarter was going to be lower than analyst estimates. Twitter also reported um, earnings this morning. It was one of the final earnings reports before Mr. Elon Musk takes the company private. They did miss on revenue, but interesting to note, they did report a 16 percent increase in their daily active users. So daily active users grew to 229 million, and that uh, beat estimates. And then we're also seeing again that Apple shares falling actually a little bit now um, in the post market Emily
3: all right Emily Grafeo thank you lots to break down throughout the show I want to start with Apple beating estimates yet again shares rising in extended trading this Apple's biggest non-holiday quarter ever I spoke with Apple CEO Tim Cook just moments ago to break down his remarks and the numbers. I want to bring in Julie Osk, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Forrester Research, and Tom Giles, our Bloomberg Tech Executive Editor. Thank you both uh, for being here. Looking across the board, it is fairly impressive to see how Apple weathered the macro environment. On the call with me, Tim Cook said it was a record quarter. We grew in each of our categories except iPad, where we had very significant Supply constraints, he said they did experience supply constraints, but they were significantly lower than what they experienced in December and that they were all silicon shortage related. So chip issue related. And of course, that's an industry wide issue that affected several of their products. Julie, what's your big takeaway that despite these supply constraints, despite uh, macroeconomic uncertainty, Apple's still blowing it out of the water?
1: Yeah no it's it's exciting to watch and I think you know one of the things that we always know about Apple is There, in terms of like worldwide uh, market share for something like smartphones or PCs, uh, they have a minority stake relative to Android and some other platforms. So there's always gonna be a lot of upside and Apple's always going in a forward direction. It's uh, very common that if I own an iOS smartphone or I own a laptop, a Mac laptop, I'm more likely to buy an Apple device with my next purchase. I'm more likely to buy Apple services. So the stickiness of their devices and services is very high And so, you know, there's a lot of upside for Apple ahead as we look forward.
3: Tom, how do you square this with, with Amazon's results, which we're going to dig into a little later in the show, but sluggish second quarter sales? Uh, Tim Cook did say they're seeing inflationary pressure, but that in their OPEX and gross margins, you see that reflected, and they're navigating that as best they can. But still, these numbers.
5: It's a night and day situation here. Apple benefited from the fact they introduced a new lower-cost iPhone. That started to kick in during the quarter. iPhone continues to be this big big money maker for them. And they really took advantage of that. And as your other guest pointed out, services, they keep keep adding services and they keep making that an attractive proposition for iPhone owners and getting you to come back to it, whether it's app downloads, whether it's entertainment, et cetera. So it just keeps going on and on and on. Amazon, huge contrast, inflation, inflation, inflation seems to be a big issue there. You're talking about rising fuel costs. Remember, we broke the news that they imposed a surcharge for their their partners to account for rising fuel costs and other inflationary pressures. That took a toll. Overcapacity is another important story about Amazon. They really invested in warehouses. They invested in people. Because remember, Amazon had this surge in demand during the pandemic. We were all at home. We were all ordering everything online. And that hugely benefited Amazon. That party cannot continue forever. And we are starting to see the effects of the trail off in the pandemic-fueled boom that Amazon benefited from for so long.
3: Now, I did ask for Tim Cook for more color on the current quarter and what he sees through the end of the year when it comes to uh, demand, when it comes to supply chain issues, when it comes to Russia. Uh, He said they'd get into all of that on the call, and we are listening in, and you can follow along at our uh, T-Live blog. He actually said they're going to be giving a number on Russia revenue specifically and what kind of a hit they took there, uh, given that they paused sales of products. Julie, what is your outlook on how Apple will continue to weather supply constraints should they persist given an ongoing lockdown in China? Yeah, so while not being a supply chain analyst,
1: I think, you know, Emily, you really kicked it off when you started the call and said, you know, despite whatever happens, whether there's a war, there's a pandemic, there's a supply chain issue, there's a lockdown in China, Apple continues to weather it well. So, you know, they just seem to be somehow better positioned than perhaps some of their competitors in consumer electronics uh, to ride through the supply chain issues, even though it is impacting, you know, one or two
3: of their categories today. So I, I just tend to never underestimate what Apple can get done. All right. I want to talk a little bit more about their services business because, of course, the other big story in the business world is streaming and the decline we saw in Netflix subscribers. Of course, Apple has a you know a significant position or has made a significant bet there with TV Plus. And I asked you know how that's doing and if they're still as bullish on streaming. He said, "We're very bullish. Our philosophy for TV Plus from the beginning uh, and it continues unchanged is to create high quality original content that aligns well with our values and to be one of the most desired platforms for storytellers." And I feel were doing a pretty good job of that. He highlighted CODA, which of course uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture and I think was extraordinary. He highlighted the success of Ted Lasso. you know you know certainly not as big a bet on, on, on streaming as, as Netflix has made um, on streaming. but Tom, what do you make of the fact that this is an area they're they're con- going to continue to invest in?
5: They're coming from behind here. They don't have to prove themselves in the way Netflix is the is the player to really knock off on this on streaming right now and we're starting to see that happen. Apple is a much smaller player, they're they're coming from behind and it's all upside to them. It's one of many businesses, this is a very small overall percentage when you think about where they get their revenue from, it's almost like gravy for them in some ways. And they're not betting the farm on streaming, they are investing in great shows, we're all waiting for the next season of Ted Lasso. But it's not the centerpiece of their their strategy. I'm very curious to hear on the call any more detail they can give us about their user numbers, the time being spent. And are they getting any of the subscribers who are maybe not spending as much time on Netflix right now? And just on the supply chain, I want to add on something Julie said. Think about where China is the lockdowns are The parts of China that that Apple is really dependent on are not the parts of China that are really most severely hurt right now. I I was very surprised at how upbeat Tim Cook was about the supply chain issue, how much better it's getting. The question is, if the lockdown spread much more significantly throughout China, then what happens to Apple? All
3: right. We'll be listening for all of that on the call. Tom Giles, our executive editor, thank you, as well as Juliosk, much more To come, we're going to be talking about Amazon falling after less than stellar results. Break down all of that, including what role inflation and the supply chain is playing in the mists. That is next. This is Bloomberg.
0: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
6: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. Start your journey at stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L dot com.
5: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
3: after a less-than-stellar earnings report, including a loss in the first quarter and projected loss in the second quarter. I'm joined now by Melissa Burdick, president and co-founder of PacView and, of course, a former Amazon employee. Melissa, what's your takeaway here, especially given the strong numbers from Apple?
7: I know. That's a, pretty crazy, but like the gentleman said before, it really is apples and oranges. Um, you know, this quarter... <laughs> People return to stores. There's also more competition in e-commerce. There's more sites people are shopping at. And in addition to going to stores, Walmart and Sapphire Target, they all have a target on Amazon's back, and they're, they're getting better. Another thing, too, is that you know, the supply chain shortages, of course, everyone knew about. Brands are also taking a lot of cost increases and spending some time negotiating with Amazon, trying to get those cost increases through. And sometimes they stop shipping during that time as they were doing that negotiation. And then the other thing that also happened, you know, Amazon did increase prime uh, rate right from 119 a month to 139 uh, in terms of their membership fee. And we do see the subscription revenue was slightly higher, 8.4 billion uh, last quarter, 8.1 billion this quarter. but that's definitely something to watch.
3: So, you know, what about the supply chain issues? We're seeing Apple, for example, navigating you know ongoing supply issues quite well. You know, what is it that Amazon needs to do? And, you know, if it's apples to oranges, how are Amazon supply issues different from what a, a company
7: like Apple is facing? It's just so different because Amazon relies on merchants, you know, third-party merchants and, and brands versus Apple has total control over just what they're selling. So, you know, especially with the, the lockdown in China uh, with their zero tolerance of COVID, sellers, you know, there's no manufacturing during that time frame. So sellers are not able to get their goods. Amazon's just reliant on, you know, 3rd party marketplace and, and retailers or, I'm sorry, brands that are reliant on the manufacturing supply chain. So it's, it's really Amazon as a marketplace that is trying to broker all these things, and it's the brands and the third-party sellers that are really having struggles and challenges there.
3: Meantime, of course, we're seeing wage inflation, rising gas prices. You know, how is this all going to impact uh, consumer spending, you know, which is like the bread and butter of Amazon.com?
7: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, one one thing just to correct, the, the last gentleman did say that um, Amazon implemented a fuel surcharge. that actually goes into effect at the end of April. Um, so in a couple of days from now, actually I think today. Uh, so I don't think that impacted too much yet. But I mean, the reality is, is that prices are going up, costs are going up. So um, there will be some slowing, but there are some bright spots. You know, one of the things that people are disappointed about with Q2, uh, that also had some, you know, poorer guidance than I think the the market liked, but Prime Day is always a shining star and that's actually going to be in Q3 this year. And so I do think that customers are going to be looking for deals and Amazon has the capacity, they've built out the supply chain. They're going to be having a huge Q3 this uh, this year with Prime Day.
3: Uh, let's talk a little bit about, about streaming because Amazon also has a bet here and it impacts potentially Prime subscription. We we've saw what happened with Netflix. We just heard uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook telling me they're still very bullish on Apple TV+. You know, This is a big area of spending for all of these companies. Should Amazon continue to be pouring money into this and how does it
7: impact the bottom line? I'm super positive on Amazon's streaming opportunity. They just bought MGM. That closed last month, so that gives them access to 17,000 TV shows and 4,000 films. They're going to have the most expensive uh, show this this fall, which sounds pretty cool, with the Lord of the Rings. And then they're also talking about bringing a, an NFL game to Black Friday. What's beautiful about Amazon's streaming opportunity is also their ad revenue that they can get from all these shows. This is premium inventory that they can put through their advertising network. Um, 31 billion dollars last year and uh, so that's that's a really great opportunity for them but also speaking about advertising that also was a slight miss for them this quarter as well um, it missed expectations but it kind of goes back to you know brands can't advertise what they don't have so supply chain also impacted advertising so um i certainly saw that in our business
3: All right, PacFuse's Melissa Burdick, thank you as always for your analysis there. We'll continue to follow the Amazon call as well. (laughs) On to more earnings now, and let's take a look at Twitter revenue missing analyst estimates. And this one of the last earnings reports before Elon Musk plans to take over the company. We're seeing a slowdown in advertising. Musk has signaled he doesn't necessarily want Twitter to rely on ads and might prefer a subscription model. Could this accelerate that plan? Let's ask our next guest, Scott Kessler, global head of technology at Third Bridge. How do you think Elon Musk is looking at these ad results, Scott?
8: Um Thanks a lot, Emily. I, I think honestly, they're largely in line. I think when you see uh, the MDAU number go up so significantly. I think there are positives to take uh, from the results. And I think he's probably also reading a lot of the tweets uh, about people suddenly gaining a lot more followers. Um, and they're obviously constructive on that.
3: So uh, let's talk a little bit about then the broader ad industry. Clearly, we're seeing digital ads take a toll. We saw it at Meta. We saw it at uh, Snap. You know, how do you expect this to play out over the course of the year? if the macro environment doesn't significantly change?
8: Yeah, well, what's interesting is historically, if you had kind of a um, challenging economic backdrop, it would seem like those areas, including historically digital advertising, would actually perform better because the thought is that the shift over from, say, legacy or traditional advertising to digital advertising would accelerate, given that more challenging backdrop. Now is a different time, though, however, because of the impact, among other things, of IDFA, which has had a negative impact on uh, a lot of, of digital Uh, and social media advertising companies. And it's one of the primary reasons that we've seen uh, meta platforms struggle so mightily. And people cheered uh, when the company generated 7% revenue growth.
3: So uh, let's talk a little bit about this Elon deal. How bullish are you on this? You know, clearly Twitter has a lot of potential, I think everyone can agree, that has not necessarily been realized from a business perspective, from a user's perspective, from uh, an influence perspective, but, you know, still very controversial whether or not he's going to be good for this platform.
8: Yeah. I mean, look. I think one of the things that everyone can agree on, and there's a lot of different opinions on this proposed transaction, is that if Elon Musk ends up buying Twitter, a lot of change is going to come to the company and to the platform. Now whether those changes are going to be for the good, for the bad or otherwise remains to be seen, but a lot of us who have been using Twitter for a lot of time would acknowledge that it's largely the same platform that it was 10 years ago. And that in and of itself, I think, speaks to some of the issues that people have around Twitter, the edit button, for example, that Musk has highlighted in some of his tweets. That being said, however, I think the reality is that I look at it as you know, a pendulum, right, that sits between Twitter's focus historically on health and safety, at least over the last couple of years, and Musk's indicated focus on free speech. We've seen that pendulum swing quite far to health and safety. Musk obviously wants to shift it more uh to free speech. What that will do in effect is render less relevant or maybe irrelevant the notion of content moderation which Twitter has spent a lot of money on, has a lot of employees doing, and that's clearly an area that Musk would seemingly look to make cuts to help not only fulfill his free speech goal, but also to help preserve and grow free cash flow.
3: The information is reporting that the FTC has opened an inquiry into how Musk disclosed his Twitter stake and whether or not he followed the rules there. What do you make of this and potential regulatory headwinds to this deal?
8: Yeah, look, I think a lot of people have been looking for potential holdups in this transaction, especially legal and regulatory ones. Um, Look, I don't know the specifics of the inquiry, what exactly they're focused on. Um, Musk is no stranger to a lot of these types of issues, um, but he's been able to push through them. I can't imagine that those types of issues are going to hold up this deal. I think at the end of the day, this really comes down to, does Elon Musk follow through honest financing and consummate the transaction and what happens next and i frankly think there are a lot of questions about the financing and the follow-through but in terms of legal and regulatory i don't expect that to be the primary impediment for this deal going through
3: all right scott kessler third bridge global head of technology thanks so much for joining us all of us very anxious to see how these uh how this deal plays out Meantime, Snap is trying to make it even easier to take a selfie. The company just unveiled this yellow, square-shaped flying camera drone called Pixie. Snap CEO Evan Spiegel said the inspiration for the Pixie was, quote, what it would feel like if Tinkerbell were your personal photographer. Well, now you can have that personal photographer for $230. The Pixie is available for pre-order only in the U.S. and France and is expected to begin shipping next month. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Anyone concerned about falling chip demand post-pandemic need look no further than Qualcomm for reassurance, posting better than expected earnings and a strong sales forecast. This... Thanks, in large part, to CEO Cristiano Amon's plan to diversify the company beyond smartphones. Amon joins me now. Cristiano, great to have you back with us. You know, you ended the call by thanking analysts for all the questions about phones, but reminded them that Qualcomm is so much more than a communications chip company. Now, how do you see these earnings proving that out?
2: Look, uh first of all, great talking to you, Emily. Uh and uh strategy is working for the company. It's it's, it's really working. We we are now growing uh, across all business in a number of different end markets. it's, yes, is a great story. Will continue to be a great story. I think we're doing well there. Um, I guess like no good did go on, goes unpunished as uh, by doing well in handsets, <laughs> I think we're, we get all those questions. But the reality is the IoT growth has been incredible. We grew 61% um, and out we added $3 billion to our design win pipeline within the quarter. So the, the company is truly changing from what is perceived to be a communication company for the Hanson market. It's really a connected processor company for the Intelligent Edge. And, uh, you know, hopefully that message came across.
3: You've gotten so many questions over the years about your relationship with Apple, including from yours truly. But the call focused a lot on Samsung. Is it better for Qualcomm to have Samsung as a customer, a successful customer, as opposed to Apple? And if so, why?
2: Well, that's a very good question. And I think it goes to the heart of our mobile strategy, yes. So here's the reason we're doing so well in handsets and we had the outline in the call that actually one of the fastest growing uh you know revenue for us and and silicon content and and of course earnings is on the processor side so we we put the following strategy in place we want to be synonymous with premium and high tier android we When when you think about a flagship Android, you think Snapdragon, and Snapdragon 8 is really becoming the platform of choice across every OEM, uh, from Samsung to Vivo, Oppo, Xiaomi, Huawei, Honor, uh, to build their phones uh, in the flagship category. And what's happening, go back to your question. When we sell, when we sell a, a Snapdragon 8 series into a Galaxy S22, from a revenue uh, and in an earnings standpoint, is probably equivalent of selling uh, modems to five iPhones. So it, it's a great trade. So, and especially when you look at the decision made by Samsung as a result of the strategy of being very focused and the Snapdragon being winning in all categories, the best smartphone camera in the world, the highest DxO Mark scores. The- fastest AI, lowest power with with graphics and CPU performance. That is driving the shift from 40% to 75%. So Galaxy S21, we're 40%, now we're 75% plus.
3: Uh, You know, you've been pretty optimistic about supply issues easing through the end of the year, and I just got off a call with Apple CEO Tim Cook, and here's what he told me about supply at least over the last quarter, he said, we did experience significant, we did experience supply constraints, but they were significantly lower than what we experienced in the December quarter, and they were all silicon shortage related, so the the industry-wide issue with silicon that affected us on several of our products. I um, uh, didn't get a lot of color on supply issues in the current quarter, but you know, how would you square that with what you're seeing?
2: Look, it's very consistent with uh, what uh, he said. If you remember, we said that in this year of 2022, we expect supply to improve dramatically, that it is true. Uh, we said that the second half will have a significant improvements in supply. That is happening, but having said that, we still have more demand than supply. We are now not the main constraint or supply constraint, and especially for the company, which is now part of the digital transformation, transformation enterprise, and that's driving a lot of growth in our IoT business. Um, in addition to auto enhancements.
3: Now. You gave a huge target for revenue coming from automotive, sixteen billion dollars, and I'm curious how quickly we get to that massive total, given where the business is today, which is it's growing, but it's still relatively small.
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, the way to the way to think about automotive, and I think that's the reason we provide that metric of the design wins uh, that we have. We're winning the future, uh, you know, silicon in in the automobile industry. We're with 26 brands now, we see traction with our Snapdragon digital chassis. We're winning across uh, digital cockpit, you know, connectivity with the cloud and now ADAS and autonomy. And the way to think about it is, when we talk about a $16 billion design wind pipeline, you think about cars that are going to be launching in the 24, 20, some in 23, then 24, all the way to 25 time frame, and then they stay in production for. Uh, five to six years so it's 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 almost a contracted backlog and we just added 3 billion to the metric it used to be 13 billion dollars in the quarter we had 3 billion more uh, and the, one of the biggest components okay. of that is our contract with Stellantis
3: now, Qualcomm, uh, as you've said, you want Qualcomm to be judged by, well it, uh, by how well it transforms to a company far beyond phones. And we have seen Qualcomm take a little bit of a beating um, along with other chip companies, though, of course, the shares soared today. Is there something that you think investors still aren't seeing that you want them to see in terms of this broader transition?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, the way the way I will answer your question is – uh, investors have the tendency to just think about the handsets, and just because we're doing well with handsets, we, we did grew fifty percent on a market that was flat to to a negative bias, and we grew fifty percent in the year, fifty six percent in the quarter, but. Uh, the reality is there is a broader story with Qualcomm, which is our technology is going to power those billions of devices that are really enabling the cloud economy. And uh, we see that happening with the growth rates that we have in our IoT business, uh, uh, 61% across consumer, uh, the edge networking and enterprise. And just as I was watching uh, you right before you made a comment about the new uh, drone, of uh, Snap, That's our chip. That's one of our uh, many IoT categories that we have.
3: All right, well, uh, it's great when we can hear about your customers, and I know for a long time you haven't been able to talk about your customers, so thanks for uh, some of the specifics there. Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon, appreciate it. Meantime, Microsoft's blockbuster deal for Activision Blizzard just got a bit closer to reality after a shareholder vote, so why is Wall Street betting that the merger won't actually happen. Bloomberg's Brody Ford joins us now with the latest. So Brody, give us the broader context here. There was a shareholder vote. Mm -hmm. Um, The deal seems to be moving forward, but still investors are skeptical.
9: Yeah, exactly. So the shareholders voted to advance the deal today. It's an important step that had to happen, Um, but altogether, not too surprising. So all eyes now are on what the regulators do. I mean, this deal has a little over a year from now to close, and it has to clear through the US, the EU, China. Um, I think Brad Smith from Microsoft said it's 17 countries it has to pass through, but I mean, really, all eyes are on the U.S. competition enforcers here and whether or not they will move to try to block this deal on anti-competitive grounds.
3: So, what's the likelihood that happens?
9: <laughs> yeah, well, Wall Street saying that in their in the metric, it is three times more likely for a Microsoft Activision deal to fall apart than Twitter. Um, so right now, let's say you own Activision stock, uh, you will get paid $95 if this deal closes. Right now, it's trading in about the mid-70s, meaning that you know, people are seeing a decent chance that this does not go as planned, um, and that could be either that the FTC sues and successfully blocks it in court, or that you know, it gets tied up in litigation so long that other reasons can creep in that can make the deal fall apart.
3: So what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds the deal falls apart?
9: Well, it's really hard to say, right? I mean, so the, for decades, mergers in the US were very much just kind of allowed to go through. It was pretty hands-off, but um, agency leaders right now have said that big tech companies should not be allowed to grow via acquisition. Um, Microsoft has very good reputation in DC. It's escaped a lot of the tech lash. Uh, That being said, you know, it still is the number two company in the country. So the idea is that they are really looking for a way to get their hands dirty and maybe set some new court precedents about big tech mergers. And this could be the case. Whether or not it works, you know, we'll see. But a lot of people think it could happen.
3: (laughs) All right, Bloomberg's Brody Ford. Thank you. Thanks much. Coming up, Robinhood earnings also out and the online brokerage continuing its foray into crypto, listing more cryptocurrencies like Solana. Our crypto report coming up next with that conference in the Bahamas still underway. This
7: is Bloomberg.
10: The need of the community dictates the development of the protocol because the protocol is owned by the community. A lot of the work that Solana Labs does and a lot of the work the Solana Foundation funds is around. Building primitives that are open source that can be taken by anyone and turned into amazing products built on the Solana blockchain.
0: What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done.
6: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. Start your journey at steeple.com That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
5: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
3: Time for our crypto report now. And Robinhood just reporting their results as it aims to become a bigger player in crypto. Here to break it all down, Bloomberg's
10: own Annie Massa. Annie, what are the headline takeaways from these results? This was a really difficult quarter for Robinhood, and it was always going to be a stark comparison between this first quarter and last first quarter when we saw the huge run-up in GameStop and other meme stocks. But it was worse than analysts anticipated. We saw losses across all kinds of uh, product categories, transaction revenues sliding, and revenue and earnings, both missing Wall Street's estimates. So let's talk about
3: how they're trying to grow their crypto play and influence in the crypto market as the company, you know, faces some, you know, big challenges up ahead. I mean,
10: they're going through some pretty big job cuts and the stock way down. That's right. The stock has really plummeted since the IPO. The central struggle that Robinhood is dealing with right now is this question of whether it can actually get users involved in more than trading on its platform. And in the meantime, it's trying to keep up with with investors and go where they're going. So on the crypto side, for instance, it's introduced some new tokens, including the long-anticipated Shiba Inu coin, and that was a recent development. So so Robinhood is introducing some new products to trade and at the same time trying to grow the types of products that it offers to investors in areas like retirement accounts. It added crypto wallets. So it's offering all these new products as well. So what are you looking for here next? How do you expect Robinhood to navigate?
3: these challenges, you know, Wall Street, darling, often very controversial, uh, but, but now a year into being a public company,
10: a lot of big kind of existential issues it is an existential issue, and I think that's something investors will be watching closely, whether Robinhood can deliver on this message that it has, that it can expand with its users, grow with its users, and, and touch more parts of their financial lives. So far, transaction revenues are still the core driver of revenues at this company, and it remains to be seen whether customers will go to Robinhood for other types of products as well. They certainly are going to trade, but the issue that Robinhood's facing is that trading activity is coming way down from where it was during the pandemic right how much do you think that has to do with the macro environment i mean
3: inflation rising gas prices not a lot of uh not a lot of money to be spending right
10: now on discretionary items like new equities in crypto. That's a great point. That was something that the management addressed in both the earnings call and a call with reporters. They said, listen, Robinhood has been a company that's mostly operated in an environment for much of its history where inflation has been low, interest rates have been low, and now we're starting to see inflation come way back and the Federal Reserve trying to curb that. So the issue for Robinhood is can it weather that storm if people do lose interest in putting their discretionary income towards trading? All right. Uh, we'll
3: continue to follow that story. Bloomberg's Annie Massa who covers Robinhood for us. Thank you. Let's wrap up now by taking another look at Apple's results. Dan Ives of Wedbush Securities here. Dan, you've been listening in on the call. What are your what are your headline takeaways? Obviously, an impressive quarter. Apple weathering supply shortages, weathering inflation with some record results.
11: Yeah, look, I think it's a tale of two cities. The demand story remains robust. I think demand's outstripping supply by about 10 million iPhone units. But as you talked about, Supply chain, that's a big part of the call. You know, it looks like four to $8 billion in terms of a headwind. Look, I believe the street, the knee-jerk is down in terms of the stock, but I believe what they're going to start to look on the other side of this in a normalized environment, that's really, really what the street's focused on, even though these supply chain issues in China clearly a headwind.
3: I spoke to Apple CEO Tim Cook, and he talked about the supply shortages, doubled down on the fact that this was a record quarter and that they grew in every category except for iPad, where they had the most significant supply constraints. He explained they really had to do with silicon, and we're hearing uh, Luca Maestri, the CFO of Apple, double down on that on the call right now. Um, and these are uh, silicon constraints. They're saying that they go beyond the shutdowns in China. How do you expect Apple to continue to navigate that uh, in an ongoing, you know, COVID lockdown?
11: You know, no doubt with China, it's on two parts, right? Demand as well as supply. Key part of the China story. Look, if it's gonna happen, let it happen the June quarter because ultimately this is all the build up to iPhone fourteen, which will be in September. And if you look at Apple, if you look at the demand trends that we're seeing, and this is important, demand's not softening. So I also believe they'll ultimately be able to push the price increases that we see over the coming called six months on the next iPhone through to consumers. And that's why it's one, the supply chain issues are well known. But the demand story is what investors are really looking at to see if there's any, you know, cracks in the armor. And Emily, we're not seeing them.
3: We didn't see a huge reaction in the stock, and I wonder why that is. Because it certainly seems like Apple is is is. Uh fairly well insulated from the macroeconomic issues that other tech companies are facing. Obviously, we're seeing, you know, a big hit to digital advertising, which not only affected Alphabet and YouTube, but Meta and Twitter, and also impact on consumer demand, given these sluggish results from Amazon. You know, is Apple different?
11: I think they are different. And I think what we're seeing in tech, there's a narrative that's emerging. Enterprise is strong. Microsoft I think cybersecurity, cloud, even the, the Google part of cloud, and so is Amazon, and you look at Apple, more Teflon-like, because this pent-up demand cycle for iPhone, which I think continues into next year, is underestimated, along with on the services side. Services beat the whisper. So that's really the story that's emerging here, that Apple continues, despite everything. We're seeing demand now, outstrip supply.
3: Now, Dan, we're getting uh, some new details on Elon Musk's pitch uh, when, he, when he, he made a pitch to buy Twitter, that his pitch featured job cuts and other ways to make money. I mean, he certainly hinted at, you know, wanting to potentially move away from advertising, being more interested in a a subscription model. But his pitch does focus on, you know, turning it into a more profitable business, boosting cash flow, monetizing the platform. He also brought up his his track record at Tesla and SpaceX, SpaceX as proof of his success. What do you make of that?
11: Look, I think from a business model perspective, I believe it goes to a paid subscription model. I think they'll have a free piece, but ultimately that's probably a key part of the strategy going forward. And in terms of some of the job cuts or some of the cost cutting, I mean, look, this is essentially a leveraged buyout. The only difference is he's leveraging Tesla shares to do it. So it's going to create some more uncertainty going forward. It's still a long time till you know this closes. But that's why right now for Musk, the easy part, relatively, was buying Twitter. The hard part is going to be fixing it.
3: Can he do it? Do you think Elon Musk can do it?
11: Look, I believe it's another—it's a whole other animal than a Tesla, a SpaceX. It's not technology. We're talking about social media. It's been an uphill battle for the last decade. And I, I continue to believe and I think Tesla shareholders believe this, is that this isn't going to be a herculean-like challenge for musk and i think that's why you're seeing the overhang on tesla shares because you essentially leverage the position in tesla to buy twitter and ultimately tesla shareholders that are feeling the brunt of this you know soap opera playing out
3: soap opera indeed dan ives of wedbush securities thanks so much for your insights there. We'll continue to watch what happens with Twitter. Of course, we'll be continuing to follow along uh, the latest on Apple and Amazon results, and that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Before we go, I just want to say a special goodbye to a very special person on our Bloomberg team, Mallory Abelhausen, who has been here running the show on the floor of Bloomberg Technology for 10 years. 10 years, so almost as long as I have. She is moving on to her next adventure moving to new york bloomberg in new york she's not leaving the bloomberg family and we're so so grateful for all of the time you, you have girl. spent with us and the energy and love and heart that you bring to this show and helping me us put a show on from my basement for 18 months in a pandemic um, you will be missed Thank and you. we wish you I luck. love you Thank love you. you too all right that does it for the show we'll be back tomorrow i'm emily chang in san francisco this is bloomberg